Our time is burdened under the cumulative weight of successive debunkings of our conceits. We live in the cosmic boondocks. Tuesday, June 7th, 2011. Welcome to the Cosmic Boondocks, a weekly online radio show discussing science, reason, and humanistic values in India. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Ajita Kamal, as always. Before I go into the show this week, I'd like to make an announcement. I'm looking for contributors to the show. Anyone interested in contributing a story or two each week, and possibly in other areas as well. If you're interested, please contact me at ajita at nirmukta.com. That's A-J-I-T-A at nirmukta.com. And now, on with the show. Our first news item today is about a new report on whether there's a link between cell phone use and cancer. An international panel of 31 scientists from around the world have concluded that cell phone use may have carcinogenic effects. That is, it may cause cancer. The research panel, part of the WHO's International Agency for Research on Cancer, looked at a number of previous studies looking for potential effects of cell phone radiation on users. This study has been widely reported in the news, and of course it has been widely misreported. It has provided fodder for those who have been linking cell phone use and cancer for years without any evidence. So let's get some facts right. Firstly, this is not a new experimental study, it's a review. The fact remains that there is not one study that has conclusively established a link between cell phone use and cancer. In fact, last year the largest experimental study ever done testing for significant correlation between cell phone use and cancer found no evidence for such a link. Secondly, the study has led the WHO to place cell phones in a category called Category 2B. Now, all the media sources correctly listed this category as possibly carcinogenic to animals. But what they fail to note is that this category happens to be a catch-all category. Essentially, anything that is thought to need more research into establishing a link to cancer is placed in this category. According to the WHO description of the category, anything that has limited to insufficient evidence for being carcinogenic in humans and has limited to insufficient evidence from animal studies can be placed in the category. Now, let's also be aware that this is not the first time such a review has been done. The news media tends to ignore the studies that report no link. For example, the European Union's Scientific Commission on Emerging and Newly Identified Health Risks did an extensive review of all previous studies, and here is their conclusion. Quote, It is concluded from three independent lines of evidence, epidemiological, animal, and in vitro studies, that exposure to RF fields is unlikely to lead to an increase in cancer in humans, RF fields being radio frequency fields. Now this seems pretty definitive. The indication is that there is no significant effect that has been observed yet, and that the WHO is simply taking precautions and placing cell phones in a category that denotes more research is needed to establish any link with cancer. Some of the other things that are placed in this category include coconut oil, talcum powder, and carpentry. Now, coconut oil has been used for centuries in South India to grease the scalp and hair, and as a body massage oil, and even as a cooking oil at times. 
talcum powder is used on babies. Only one or two of the media reports, and I went through a number of them, have pointed out the fact that coffee is in the same category. As usual, the media has chosen to make a big deal out of a non-existent link that they knew is already widely misunderstood. So this is just terrible reporting. Sanjay Gupta of CNN, one of America's favorite medical doctors on TV, who also happens to be a neurosurgeon, said that the study, quote, dealt a blow to those who have long said there is no possible mechanism for cell phones to cause cancer. By classifying cell phones as a possible carcinogen, they also seem to be tacitly admitting a mechanism could exist. It's apparent from this sentence that Gupta is ignorant of how science works. No scientist has ever said there could be no possible mechanism for anything. That's not how scientists do things. There is always a possibility of a mechanism. What scientists will say is there is no known mechanism, and that remains true. There is no known mechanism for how cell phones can cause cancer. Especially since we know that the non-ionizing radiation from cell phones is too weak to break the DNA strands in vitro. Sanjay Gupta thinks he's been all clever here, saying that the scientists all of a sudden are, quote, tacitly admitting a mechanism could exist. But he's ignoring that scientists are always open to the possibility of unknown mechanisms existing. For example, Stephen Novella, who has been writing about this issue for years, has made the point multiple times on his blog Neurologica, as well as the SGU podcast, which is the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast, that there could be some unknown mechanisms that have some unknown effects, and that although there is no good reason to completely give up cell phones, we can take precautions such as using a headset and making fewer calls. As always, the media chooses to sensationalize an already sensitive issue which only contributes to the overall panic about cell phones causing cancer. Our next news story is fascinating. Physicists have invented a way of measuring quantum level phenomena without influencing the results. First, a little background. One of the most popular misrepresentations of quantum physics derives from the so-called observer effect, where the act of observing a quantum level event influences the phenomena being observed. This event has been misappropriated to make the mystical claim that consciousness creates its own reality. For decades, scientists have tried to stem this misrepresentation of the science, but the handful of scientists who have endorsed the consciousness creates reality idea have provided the fuel for new age gurus like Deepak Chopra to ramble on incoherently about how his subjective intuitions are part of some sort of universal consciousness. The scientific consensus, on the other hand, has always been that the observer effect is a result of the requirement for measurement not anything related to having a sentient consciousness influence the causality of events that are independent and objectively real. That is, the measuring tool used 
is what interferes with the result, not the conscious observer. Now, the observer effect has been considered an insurmountable problem by most physicists ever since the invention of quantum physics and the discovery of quantum level phenomena. It was believed that the wave-particle duality, which is the phenomenon when a photon passing through two slits can behave as a wave or a particle, depending on the type of measurement, could never be observed. So it is fitting now that the new study by researchers at the University of Toronto, using a measurement technique proposed by researchers at Tel Aviv University in Israel, applied the new technique to the same double-slit experiment. They constructed the trajectories of a particle as it passed through two slits simultaneously, functioning both as a particle and a wave at the same time. This is something that current physics textbooks say is impossible. Caught between a fraud and a disgrace. The fraud is Baba Ramdev, a glorified yoga teacher and peddler of pseudoscience who has made millions by defrauding the gullible. The disgrace is the Indian government, one of the most corrupt on the planet. It comprises a vast and bloated network that is choking the country. The facts are common knowledge. Baba Ramdev has been on a strike, a hunger strike, fasting in full public view demanding that the government cedes to his various demands. He has been leveraging his popularity among the woo-mongers of India. The government has responded by arresting him, after he tried to hide in a rather cowardly fashion, quite unlike the Gandhi he claims to emulate, and making him leave Delhi. The media has played to both sides in a stunning show of false equivalence, completely abdicating their role as reporters of the truth. Through all of this, there has been some debate among rationalists as to where to take a stand on the issue. Here's my position on the whole thing. Baba Ramdev is a complete nutjob, and there is no way I would support him. However, I think that the media and most of the popular debate has focused on the wrong reasons for not supporting him. The reasons why I don't support Baba Ramdev's antics have to do with the fact that he is a fraud and a bigot and he is completely clueless about economics or any discipline that he gives his stunted opinions about. The man's claim to fame is dangerous quackery, which makes him both untrustworthy as well as a terrible person because he's apathetic to the suffering that he actively perpetuates. Baba Ramdev should be in jail for selling unregulated concoctions using wild claims of being able to cure cancer and even AIDS. A few years ago, nothing came of a case when illegal substances, including human bone, were found in his Ayurvedic concoctions. There are numerous cases of false advertising that can be filed against Ramdev today, but the government and the media do not dare question his nefarious business model. Ramdev opposes science-based medicine and wants to do away with all of it, labeling all of science-based medicine as Western medicine. Little does this quack realize that tens of millions of Indians would already be dead and many millions more would never make it past infancy without science-based medicine. The measles vaccine alone has saved well over 2.5 million lives in India since the 1980s when it began to be used. Ramdev wants to stop printing rupees 500 and 1000 bills 
and he wants to stop all import of foreign manufactured products, presumably including the fuel for his private jet. And he wants to establish an even labor pay scale across the country without taking into account regional economic factors such as business environment and variation in purchase power parity. Ramdev wants adulterers to receive the death penalty. Everyone is focused on the fact that he wants to deal with the corrupt politicians with capital punishment, missing the fact that this maniac is out of his mind completely and is not just of the opinion that mutually consensual adulterous relationships should be illegal, but the individuals involved should be killed. What is this, the Dark Ages? Are Indians now listening to a Taliban leader? Then the guy is a blatant homophobe and claims he can cure homosexuality using yoga. His hateful rhetoric is not only full of factual errors, but also he has notched up homophobia among his millions of fans. There are many more reasons why I as a free thinker cannot support the fraud Ramdev, despite the fact that corruption in our government is a disgrace and needs to be addressed urgently. But I think the point is clear. I'll present now two popular arguments for not supporting Ramdev that I think are false. These are arguments that are made against the idea of hunger strikes in general. The first false reason I've heard people give is that hunger strikes are undemocratic. The second false reason I've heard is that hunger strikes are blackmail. Now interestingly, it is the tendency to dismiss such hunger strikes as undemocratic that strikes me as undemocratic. Despite whether we agree with the strategy or not, it is completely within the rights of every person to influence others in ways that do not violate the law. Ramdev is not calling for violent revolution. He's using the same techniques that Gandhi did when fighting the British. Whether or not Ramdev's use of the strategy is appropriate or not, and obviously I don't think it is, he has a right to use it. Hunger strikes are a form of protest often used when dealing with oppressive governments, especially when there's no hope left. We may not like the situations that provoke such behavior, or the behavior in itself, but there is no question that there are legitimate functions for such forms of protest. My reason for not supporting Ramdev arises from studying his demands, not a fundamental disagreement with the idea of satyagraha or non-violent struggle as popularized by Gandhi and as practiced around the world. But there's another layer to this. The argument that hunger strikes are undemocratic assumes a certain type of rigid representative democracy as a standard democratic system and dismisses the possibility of an informed citizenry participating in the process of governance, what is known as a participatory democracy. Even true representative democracies are participatory to the extent that, they, that the voters influence political decisions by making their pleasure or displeasure known. Politicians need to placate the masses as part of the democratic process. The problem is, in India, the masses are kept perpetually ignorant by a media that fails at every step to ask the right questions and by a government that refuses to prosecute a known fraud. In India, we don't have an informed citizenry. That is the real problem. Without an informed citizenry, the people of India will always be under the spell of charlatans of all stripes. That is where our focus must be. From a rational point of view, democracy can only work when there is an informed electorate. If people were all properly informed about science, Ramdev wouldn't have the power he does now. As for the charges of blackmail, that is a word with a clear legal definition and a clear illegal connotation. The word blackmail is being misapplied in this context for one purpose only, to create an emotional distraction. 
which is ironically the very point the use of the word in reference to the hunger strike was intended to convey. That is, if used in the meaning that it is being applied to the hunger strike issue, the use of the word itself can be labeled blackmail. But it would also be a wrong use of the word. Instead of using such false metaphors to digress from the discussion, we should be having a conversation on the important issues. Ramdev is a fraud and his demands are ludicrous. As rationalists and freethinkers, I believe our focus must be on shining the light of reason on the facts exposing Ramdev's popular ideas as the false and dangerous ramblings of a fool with delusions of grandeur. other stories in brief. A potential new breakthrough in hard drive technology. Scientists at UC San Diego are reporting that they have developed a solid state drive that is thousands of times faster than the regular hard drives and up to seven times faster than the best flash-based solid state drives that are currently in use. The new technology is known as phase change technology. A significant hurdle towards realizing this technology to its full potential is the fact that it will require an entirely new software paradigm to be invented from scratch for managing the storage and retrieval functions. The BBC carried a report on a particular quack practice that takes place once a year in Andhra Pradesh. This practice involves making children swallow a small live fish as a cure for asthma. The practice has been going on for 150 years. The fish are dipped in a paste that supposedly contains a secret formula that can cure asthma. But asthma, as you may know, has multiple causes and triggers, and a single cure for all the causes is highly suspect. In any case, this is unregulated and untested quackery and needs to be addressed by the government. Our last news story, new research indicates that rising carbon dioxide levels in the oceans can make fish deaf and vulnerable to predators. The researchers used clownfish young that forage around coral reefs and use hearing to avoid predators. In carbon dioxide rich water, simulating conditions that would likely result in the future if carbon dioxide emissions kept increasing at the current rate, the fish, which were previously known to lose their high sense of smell in high carbon dioxide water, were also rendered deaf and did not respond to sounds. About half of all the carbon dioxide emissions over our recent history of heavy industrialization has been soaked up by the oceans. Of course, the actual change in CO2 levels in the ocean will be gradual over many generations of fish, and that may give them time to evolve and adapt. But the study demonstrates just one more example of how much of an effect on the planet we are causing in just a short period of time. And often, as is the case, we don't know the majority of the effects of our rapidly changing environment. And such studies are a small window into what the ecosystem and humanity as a whole will have to deal with if we fail to usher in a new technological revolution that seeks renewable alternatives to the current energy, infrastructure and utilization models. Je suis la reine du 
Now, when I started this Cosmic Boondocks podcast, I was trying out various sections such as a quiz section and a superstition of the week section, but I think I've narrowed it down now. After last week's fallacy hunt, it seems like this would be a fun exercise to do every week. I'll pick some audio clip or quote and we can discuss it on the forums in the Spot the Logical Fallacy section. Now, I'm leaving it open as fallacy hunt and I'm not specifying it as logical fallacy hunt because Although I like to make this about logical fallacies primarily, we can discuss factual errors that also do not qualify as logical fallacies. The forums at nirmukta.net are a good place for us to have these weekly discussions and I hope you'll join us there. Last week's fallacy hunt was on this statement from Deepak Chopra. We think that uh, many times uh, patients uh, uh, feel healed even though they may die from a disease if they learn to go beyond their personal fear of death. And you can never do that unless you uh, have a patient have a spiritual experience. Nirmukta contributor Arvind Ayer posted an excellent answer to this on the forums. I'll go over some of what he said and then I'll add some of my own points. The first logical fallacy that Arvind identified is the fallacy of equivocation. To quote what Arvind wrote, healed is a polysemic word and here there's a surreptitious semantic shift of the use of the word from cured to experiencing a disposition of indifference to disease. Now this is one fallacy that I had missed so thanks Arvind for enlightening me. The next fallacy that Arvind mentions is the fallacy of necessity. Now the fallacy of necessity is committed when an idea is assumed to be necessarily true for it to support a particular outcome even when there are other possible ways by which that particular outcome could have come about without requiring the assumption that the idea is necessarily true. In this case, assuming that spiritual experience is necessary to rid one of the fear of death is a fallacy. What Arvind is saying is that there could be other ways of ridding oneself of the fear of death. And this is indeed true, so excellent fallacy hunting, Arvind. Now, the fallacy of necessity is a general form of the fallacy. The specific form that applies in this context here is called the fallacy of the single cause. Now, Arvind also mentions two other fallacies, uh, special pleading, which I thought was a slightly weaker argument in this case, and the argument from authority, which I agree with. The full comments by Arvind and myself are posted on the forums, and the link is in the show notes. But I think there's another fallacy here. Let's remember Arvind has already pointed out that the word healed is used in a twisted sense. But let's just accept that meaning that Chopra was using and let's consider healing as a subjective feeling of well-being. So I see three arguments in Chopra's statement. A. Lack of fear of death causes subjective healing. B. Spiritual experience causes lack of fear of death. And C. Which is the conclusion, spiritual experiences cause subjective healing. And so Chopra's argument is of the form A causes B and B causes C, therefore a causes C. That conclusion is a tautological fallacy, that is, it is circular reasoning. Tautologies result when part or all of something that needs to be established is assumed as a premise in the argument. In this case, Chopra attempts to argue that spiritual experience can heal in the subjective sense. 
but he must first establish the necessary condition that lack of fear of death can heal and the necessary condition that spiritual experiences can cause a lack of fear of death before using the conditions as premises to establish that spiritual experiences can heal. In other words, the premises that he requires for his conclusion need to be established in the first place. So by assuming that they are true, he's actually building a circular argument. By the way, it's actually doubtful if spiritual beliefs lead to lack of fear of death. There are studies showing, for instance, that religious patients actually agonize more when it comes to their final care arrangements and find it harder to let go when they die. And now, here is this week's segment for the fallacy hunt. God calls our attention to a very interesting attribute of the sky. We made the sky a preserved and protected roof, yet still they turn away from our signs. This attribute of the sky has been proved by scientific research done in the 20th century. The atmosphere surrounding the earth serves crucial functions for the continuity of life while destroying many meteors, big and small, as they approach the Earth, it prevents them from falling to Earth and harming living things. In addition, the atmosphere filters the light rays coming from space that are harmful to living beings. Interestingly, the atmosphere lets only harmless and useful rays, visible light, near ultraviolet light, and radio waves pass through. All of this radiation is vital for life. Now there is a lot going on here. The clip is from a video that claims that the Quran contains scientific truths. The argument being made here starts off with one verse from the Quran. Quote, we made the sky a preserved and protected roof, yet still they turn away from our signs. And then the video goes on to interpret the verse to make the claims that you heard. I will post the video clip on the forums. Now since there is a lot going on here, I thought it would make for a fun dissection. I think we can evaluate the factual claims being asserted here in addition to hunting for the logical fallacies. As always, I will post a link to the forum discussion thread in the show notes. If you're not inclined to discuss on the forums, you can send me an email or just reply on the website. The Cosmic Boondocks is produced by Ajita Kamal for Nirmukta Radio. Please visit our website at nirmukta.com N-I-R-M-U-K-T-A dot com. Join our online community of freethinkers in building a culture of rational inquiry and critical thinking in India. For details or to send us comments and suggestions, please use the Contact Us page on the website or send us an email at info at And that's all we have for this week. 
Music for today's show is Rising Legends by Epic Soul Factory, Murder by Mujaji, Kelp by Najera, Diablo Swing Orchestra by Balrog Boogie, and Bling Bling by Lepid Dunlop. Thank you for listening. <laughs>